That's what she said. And the best way to start is to hit start. And up comes the toolbar. That's what she said. Why did you get it so big? A, that's what she said. I need two men on this. That's what she said. You already did me. That's what she said. Force it in as deep as you can. And you were directly under her the entire time. That's what she said. Excuse me. That's what she said. It's huge. That's what she said. <laughs> Dwight, get out of my nook. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Hi, everyone. My name is Lee Wood, and I'm going to be your host for the That's What She Said podcast. This is episode four. We've had a bit of a break. We had three episodes last year, uh, right at the end of our second season of That's What She Said, a storytelling group based out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, the funniest storytellers, telling adult stories, real life stories in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And uh, yes, we had a podcast that went three episodes last year during our season, ended in June of last year. And then we had a bit of a break. And now we're back. Episode four. Uh, So thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. We're really excited and we do plan on having a podcast every month for the next foreseeable future. So uh, stick with us and we're really happy you joined us. All right. Tonight's episode deals with a story that was told at the end of last season. Um, In June, we had a program called Daddy Issues and it was in honor of I guess you could say, of Father's Day, which of course happens in June. And uh, we did it. We tackled some of our deepest and darkest and grossest issues when it comes to our fathers in this show. Uh, And uh, by some standards, it was a great success. I think that uh, we went through a lot of therapy putting that show together. I think that we told some amazing stories that really touched on deeply human issues, flaws, and legacy, and childhood, and when you become an adult, and how you see your parents, things that storytelling really should deal with. We also drove away half of our audience, maybe not half, somewhere close to a third of our audience on the the last show of the season, because one of these stories is so intense. So tonight you hear a conversation uh, between myself, Amber Forbes, and Rebecca, who is the teller of the story. It is her story. It's the story of her father. Um, And uh, it gets a little meta. You know, Amber and I are um, interested in talking about whether or not this story was appropriate to tell, whether or not we are horrible judges of what is funny and what's appropriate for an audience and whether or not we throw things at our audience that are far too intense. Um... And I like to be the devil's advocate and always say that we should throw things at them that they can't handle and they should just learn how to handle it uh, because that's who I am. But really, we get to listen to Rebecca tell her story and she gets to include details that we didn't get to hear in the final version of her story because these things were unfolding while we were working on the story. I don't want to give anything away, but um, it was ongoing as we were rehearsing and writing. So there was a lot that didn't get to be said up there in front of the audience. And this is your chance to hear the entire story. All right, so we're going to go to the conversation with myself, Lee, Amber, 
and Rebecca. And this story is called Muzafaza. So I have in here Amber Forbes and Rebecca Center. And we, we're really the, the epicenter of that's what she said. I mean, let's just be honest. We the let core. other people hang around. The core. I'm mostly thinking of Harrison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hanger on her. Yes, hanger on her. And so we're in here because we want to talk about uh, uh, a story that was in last season. It was the last show of last season, uh, a story that happened in Daddy Issues. Rebecca, you know what story I'm talking about? I clearly remember the story, Lee. Um, and we wanted to always talk about the story because it's intense. So it's obviously it's about family, which always is a little heavier, maybe, than just something that happened to you when you were drunk. And... This one in particular seems to be like maybe the most intense and heaviest story of all time. And you lived it, Rebecca. I survived it. (laughs) All right. So give us like, just give a little bit of an overview of the story. And Amber might even be able to do it because she says she remembers it really well. I'm going to let Amber do it because she also co-lived it for most of my life. True. And um, she makes all my stories better. So I'm going to let her. Okay. Well, the first thing I wanted to say is that I think the reason that we wanted to do Daddy Issues as a, as a theme for the show was because of Rebecca. I, yes, I agree. But what we didn't see coming and should have is that her father, when when you've known her as long as you and I have, because you met Rebecca uh, when you were 12? As a child, maybe even nine, nine. So when you know anyone that long, things that are not funny or or shouldn't be funny or... <laughs> or are on their face like kind of horrific. Right. Weren't funny at the time. <laughs> right. Any Anything like that, it can... The longer that you know someone, the more that they kind of become like family, mm-hmm. the horror backs off and you... You make fun of it so that you can make it okay. Yes. And as novices doing storytelling, we underestimated, I think. The power. The power of the story. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's right. Because I remember, yes, for years, like we would get an update. And all of this is going to just be built up to when we really talk about what this is. But I would get updates over the years. Like, we, you know, we'd, we'd hang out and then it'd be like, okay, this is what's going on. What is the monster up to now? <laughs> yes. And it would be hilarious because it'd be like a, an unfolding story about a monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you're getting all of that at once in a 15-minute story rather than over the period of 20 years. Most people can't take that. I think it's a bit intense. It's like a terrifying butterfly, I think. <laughs> he started off as a horrible larva, <laughs> drunk larva, uh-huh. with obviously pickled. with arms. Pickled. <laughs> a pickled larva, obviously with lots of hands and legs that he could run around and Ugh. scream and grab pickled eggs and eat them. Ugh. A he drunk really larva. And then he became a butterfly. And this story was about him becoming... An awful, mean, drunk butterfly on Easter. Mm -hmm. And because we lived it, we thought it was darkly funny, but it was black funny. And we possibly ran off half the audience. (laughs) Well, I think that we um, are more amused than the stranger who is presented (laughs) with this material, like you said, in 15 minutes. I think that they were horrified. And um, it was heavy. 
Yeah, it was heavy. It was intense. And I think, I don't know. It's hard for me because I'm like, I try to think about myself in the audience. If I had heard that, I still think I would have been like, that's incredible. I don't think I would have gotten home and gone and left. So part of me is like, those people were wimps anyway. And to be fair, lots of people enjoyed this story. Yes. Mm-hmm. Many people enjoyed this mm-hmm. story. We were, we were just offended by the few, the half that <laughs> it was like it was like fifteen, maybe maybe twenty, right? <laughs> and we don't know. It's definitely because of yeah. This. It could have been real. It could have been real stuff in their lives. Like right. their babysitter could have texted them, or yeah. you know, they yeah. could have had other uh, plans. Yeah, there you go. I've told myself that it was a bachelor party. <laughs> okay, a co-ed bachelor party, and they really had to get to the strip club. <laughs> That's what I think. I like that. I'm glad if I really want that to be true because I want them to sit down at the strip club with that story in their brain. Like, that's the way you're going to start the strip club. Mm. That'll teach you. Yeah, Mm. no kidding. All right, Amber. So give us an overview, just like really quickly. This is Rebecca's father. Like, I feel I feel like we should say something about one of the things that made this story so um, heavy right there at the onset was that um, my father tried to upstage me and steal my thunder. Um, one last time, yeah. again. So I kind of prefaced the story with the fact that he had passed away eleven days earlier. Yeah, like while you, while we'd all been working on it and writing for it. a month. Yeah, yeah, diva. <laughs> it's a Debbie so Reynolds true. move for real. It really, really is. And this Carrie was not having it. <laughs> It's so, I mean, that's like a whole, that's another conversation that I want to have because I feel like there's this weird thing where life like knows that we're getting ready to tell a story about it. And then it just like comes and fucks with everything. Mm -hmm. And like, that's happened over and over again. I think this was the first like, oh yeah, boom. (laughs) And that, yes, I do think beginning the story with like, hey, my newly dead father Let's now talk about it. BTW. <laughs> the story started when we were younger and Richard was a monster. This is in his larva stage. And yes, he was a monster. We went through the fact that he um, he kept really funny porn in the house that we found VHS tapes mm-hmm. called... Fat chicks in bed. Oh, God, that's right. And we thought this was hysterical because um, he was a, he was a fattest. Yeah. <clears throat> a fat shamer. Yes. He was a fat shamer. And kept a, kept a, a scale at the table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Re- uh, Rebecca's mother had become. Stepmother. No. No, real mom. Rebecca's biological mother. <clears throat> I think I know your life better than you. Please butt out. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um. Rebecca's mother, biological mother, had become pretty heavy later in her life after bearing lots of children for this piece of shit. And he left. And he had chastised her. Then he chastised Rebecca. Don't get fat like your mother. I mean, there was just lots of and then, psychological warfare. And, and then, then it, you find then it the turns porno. out. Exactly. And we loved it. We <laughs> ate it up with a spoon. <laughs> fat chicks in bed. Yes. Uh. So there was also there was also a a gay there was also a gay uh, VHS porn <gasps> not far from a uh, man on man next to fat chicks in bed. It was very confusing. 
Yeah, but I don't remember thinking that was as funny. <laughs> that was just confusing. This fat chicks in bed just did it for me. I <laughs> loved it. So that was the, the first find. And I yeah. think I was like 13 or 14, which made would have made you like 15. Mm-hmm. And the next thing we found, well, you found, and then I, the next time I came over, you said, get in here right now. Look at this. So we go into his drawer and you pull out what I think his I remember. Dresser, his dresser his, drawer. It, we're in. We're 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 um, invading their privacy um, because I was a snooper. Snooper. Thank you. That mm-hmm. is the word. I I, I I suck answers, and the only way I could find them was to go and explore. And all it really did was give me more questions. <laughs> Gross questions. <laughs> So we found, and I remember you pulling out like an aqua-colored, a giant aqua-colored bra. Giant. That her stepmother, who's a very slight woman, would never wear. Couldn't. It would be way too big. It just falls straight off her body. Yeah, I mean, and the cups were way too large. I mean, she's a very small woman. So we deduced that he was wearing women's underwear. And... That was funny for a while, and then it wasn't, That because that was the end of it. Right. Because he was mean. Like, it was funny to make fun of him a little bit, but then you always kind of have to turn the corner back to, he was just a drunk shithead. He and, was mean. I mean, the the from what I gather, you guys just avoided him as much as possible, like, mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Yeah, when he wasn't there, we would go through his stuff. Mm-hmm. And then... The older we got, the more we just avoided him more and more. Mm-hmm. And we would laugh sometimes, like, uh-huh, remember your underwear? To ourselves. Right. But mostly, the older we got, the more we just weren't there. Mm-hmm. And then we start hear- basically hearing rumors, because no one ever spoke openly about anything. Jason did. I believe Jason started the rumors that he had seen eyeliner or his hair was getting really long and, you know, Jason had been told for the majority of his life to get a haircut and get a real job, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. His hair was long. Um, the monster was wearing eyeliner. Um, he was wearing what Jason called um, euphemistically a kimono around mm-hmm. the house, mm-hmm. which would be very difficult for him to tie. Um, and wedge heels. And these things kind of just kept, uh, Jason would say, you know, here and there that he had seen these things. And so this perpetuated my own imagination to create even more of a, you know, crazy image of him. Sure. And share that and keep the rumor mill going. Yeah. Okay. Then we find out that he did go to Thailand Mm -hmm. and he did get a breast get breast implants and he did have his jaw shaved so it would be more feminine right facts yes because i remember actually sitting on your porch amber when you came over and first gave this information and it was like what is happening because it was the greatest christmas ever (laughs) because he was gone it was the greatest christmas ever and we were like where's dad and my stepmother said that he had gone to thailand which is you know kind of exotic and on the other side of the world which we thought was kind of crazy but we had traveled a lot as kids and he had traveled more extensively than we had ever had you know so we thought okay he's gone to thailand now she did not say anything about what was happening when he he returned to thailand he might look a little different absolutely and it was two trips this took two different um uh, trips to Thailand where he got first the breast implants and then later uh, the cheek and the jaw reshaping, the, the, the lifting of the 
of the cheekbone. Yeah. And the lifting of the eyes. It's almost like a little mini facelift Mm -hmm. with a little bit of restructuring of the bone underneath. But Thailand, as I learned later, has a wonderful healthcare system where they actually recuperate you afterwards. And so they take care of you completely. And wasn't there a thing, too, that he could get it done there and not have to go through any of the counseling that you have to have in the States? Yeah, United States, you have to have a, a psychological analysis and it has to be, you know, checked by two different, I think, sources before they approve you of having a sex change yeah and thailand and thailand no such no such a gotcha okay testing is required yes all right so it's it's milling around gender reassignment reassignment. yes so that was and and that was one of the challenges of writing the story writing the story was a really interesting process as well because we did not want to be disrespectful of the um the transgender community. Sure, absolutely. At all. Yeah. And what we'd always talked about also was this was never like his his biggest problem. And of course you're talking about a chicken and egg kind of thing, but his problem was always that he was a mean drunk and a terrible father. Sure. Sure. This was just a whoa because he didn't talk to anyone about it he didn't prepare his children for it mm-hmm. he didn't clearly mm-hmm. if he was talking to his wife about it no one knew mm-hmm. probably i mean she didn't seem like she knew did she these are not people who discuss things right with their children and these are not people who openly discuss anything in front of anyone else so i have no idea what she knew i still really don't know what she knew but i feel like our listeners are a bit confused at this moment because i mentioned that he went to two different surgery i mentioned these two different visits and neither time did we mention that he did have full gender reassignment that he actually became a woman yes. so okay let's talk we i do want to get we need to talk about the sensitivities of writing this story and what it's like because that's interesting but we we also need to sort of finish through the timeline of Richard because he he comes back from Thailand, but then there was this thing that happened at Easter. Like what what was the thing? So um, Easter Sunday has always been a very big deal to my stepmother um, to the point where we have been made to hunt Easter eggs until uh, we're in our thirties, <laughs> and. Um, we didn't give her any grandchildren that she approved of. She didn't want my older siblings' children. And so apparently, um, you know, my brother and I, for her pleasure and entertainment, would hunt these eggs. And so we kind of disliked Easter, but it obviously yeah. made her so happy. But then finally, on this particular Easter, after his second trip to Thailand, um, we came to the house and we were all sitting around the living room waiting to eat. And it's um, my stepmother, uh, my younger brother, and his wife and at the time and myself and my husband at the time and we have since run both these people off (laughs) (laughs) and my father came out of the back of the house and walks into the middle of the room and says kids I'm a woman now and my brother and I just held each other's stares like we couldn't look away from each other because if we did you know this horrible, like, craziness would eat us. And luckily for me, my ex-husband said, well, Richard, don't you feel better now? <laughs> See? Yes. And this broke the ice. And shortly thereafter, he offered me a dress <laughs> that he had purchased that was too big for him. <laughs> and that was the last time I ever had to hunt Easter eggs. <laughs>
this is actually when he's the nicest he's ever been in my whole life. Really? It's because he's on these hormone transformation drugs. Mm -hmm. He's on Prozac, so he's not drinking. He's sipping iced tea all the time. Um, But he's crying a lot. Uh And as a child, I was always told by him when I cried to go away because my tears were boring. And so to watch him cry later was like, "Mm, I have no empathy for that because you taught me no empathy for that. Right. But then he decided that he didn't like being sober, but he didn't want to drink alcohol. So instead, he made some friends. Mm -hmm. And in that part of town, which I'm not sure if we can mention, Mm -hmm. those friends like to go fast. Yes. And so, in all possible ways. At the age of 67, he decided to try methamphetamine. That's insane. That's crazy. And he and my stepmother separated and got, you know, separate housing and everything was rolling smoothly in their separation, you know, bar the fact that they're both crazy and they say horrible mean things to each other. And so we didn't really know anything about this new addiction until I'll let Amber tell you. Well, I was going to say the um, so all the marriages at the table after this Easter thing fall apart. Yes. Which is terribly sad. Yes. Like, of all the things that are terribly funny, mm-hmm. that's terribly sad. Oh, yeah. Because his behavior had such a huge impact forever on everyone. <laughs> yes. I'm in the parking lot in North Carolina. I was living in North Carolina, and one of our mutual friends calls me. And she's one of those people, and this is so funny, she, she loves to watch the... Uh, Washington County uh, arrest reports. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah. So anytime something funny happens, someone we know, someone we used to know, she calls me. I'm with my children in the parking lot of the Food Lion, which is a grocery chain out there. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget it. She calls and she says, oh, well, at, at this point, I don't remember when this was announced, but Richard became Christine. Right. And so we solely called him Christine because that was amazing to us. That was Easter. Easter, he said he was Christine. It's, it's. I mean, it's a transformation. The fact that it happened on, on Easter. Easter, I'm oh. telling you, it's just so, there's so many things that are amazing about it. it. It's amazing. Okay. I want, I mean, I don't want to have him to have picked that on purpose because it seems too sophisticated for him, but I love it that he did. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I get this phone call. My friend says, well, Christine, Christine's in the paper. She's been arrested. And I was like, what? Tell me. And she goes on to tell this story about Christine has beat her girlfriend with a telephone. Oh, my God. She's been caught with methamphetamines, guns, intent to distribute. Uh, guns don't are not registered. Just everything trashy and, and methy. <laughs> Christine has done. And... In her 70s. In her 70s. And she looks very in her 70s. Yeah. And very methy in the paper. And mm-hmm. I'm sent and I'm sent a picture via my phone. And I assume, although I, I can't, haven't figured out why Rebecca hasn't called me, but I assume that Rebecca knows. And so like a shithead, <gasps> I forward this on to Rebecca. <laughs> Your dad is in the paper. No. And that's how she finds out. Oh, uh. I did not receive the paper Monday through Thursday. I'm one of those people who only gets papers on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. 
And so I did not see the newspaper at that point. And I do not troll the Washington County <laughs> and website. No one, no one I didn't have time you. at the time. I was um, at the point of my life where I was uh, teaching full time. Mm-hmm. So I did not have a moment to uh, troll. Yeah. And so um, Amber sends me what is worse than Gary Busey's <laughs> website. <laughs> oh, by a mugshot. <laughs> and. I'm like, oh my gosh, give me the details because all I have is this fabulous photograph. <laughs> so I tell her about Miss Meth. Yes. And we laugh and laugh and laugh. And then he gets out of it. Mm. He should be he should have he should have died in prison. Right. But he he has a brother who helped him pay for a very good lawyer. A very good lawyer. And I don't think he did any time. Did he do time? You just have to probably pay Time served. And I, I'm sure being that old gets you some lenience from the court. Probably. Len, leniency? Leniency. Leniency. Yeah. Sure. There you go. Whatever. <laughs> I think being an old crusty butterfly helped him. Yeah. So there's, there's quiet for a while. Then Christine shows up on your lawn yeah. in heels, terrifying, mm-hmm. demanding money. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, 6'2", in heels, methed out individual. When they arrested him, he's uh, six feet tall, and he weighed in, his weight was 127 pounds. And so the most he'd ever weighed, he'd always been a thin man, um, but the most he'd ever weighed in my lifetime was about 167 when we lived in England, and he was drinking um, heavy whipping cream in his coffee and eating um, lots of croissants and other delicious pastries that's like a that's a completely reasonable man weight 127 though on a six foot frame is extremely horrifying especially if you elevate it into heels yes and it's demanding money from me um because i owe him her money because you know they took care of me all my life for raising you. For raising me. He's here to collect the bill. Yes. For all the money. I, yes. The product you, huh. was disappointing. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. <laughs> it was a shitty investment. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> oh, did you have to call the cops to get him I, to leave? I, I threatened to call the cops, and that's why he left. I think that that was one of the few things that I could have said that made him be like, oh, yeah, I got to go. Okay, I've got those five felonies sort of hanging yeah. above me. So I did say I'm going to call the police, but it was crazy how it doesn't matter how much time passes. Um, they did not change his voice. And so his, you know, demanding of me anything just immediately puts you back in this like eight-year-old oh, totally. mindset where you're like, oh, I got I to gotta follow this. I got to do this. And then immediately you're like, no, I, no, I don't. No, I'm an no, adult. No, I do not. Get out of here. Oh. Fly away. <laughs> so that happened. And that was like the that original, so the original version of the story when we're working on it. That was the end it, of the original. That was the end of it. Yes. And then here comes Mr. One-Upper. holy shit. Yes. I get a yeah. phone call. Talk to me. There's a detective coming to my house. You have to talk to me until he gets here. And I thought... She's in trouble, or immediately he's dead, or he no, not he's dead. That didn't occur to me because we never thought he'd die. We figured he'd be dancing on our grave. Oh yeah, because he mm-hmm. the pure evil sort of outlives everything. Only it's crazy. Right. Yeah. Only the good die young, and he's who starts meth at sixty-seven and doesn't die. Yeah, that's true. 
and and drinks like that yeah. for their whole life. And as we learned later on, start smoking Newports at like 70. Who picks that up? I mean, you can do anything to that body. So she calls and I thought, I thought he'd murdered someone. <laughs> Because I think he's capable of that. Sure. Because I know, I mean, I met this family when I was 12, and I was repelled by him immediately. He is a monster. He Mm -hmm. was abusive and awful. And so it wouldn't surprise me if he did something terrible. Sure. So I figured they were wanting to talk to her about her father, and they didn't tell her. Which is kind of messed up, I think. Right. But maybe they notified they next of kin in, in person. Did he was dead? Or... Well, the thing was, the detective um, had already notified the wrong Rebecca Robinson, which is my maiden name. Um, <laughs> awesome. There's quite a few of us. When I attended the university here, there were two others while I was there. With One had the same middle initial, although not the exact same name. So there were at least three of us mm-hmm. at one point in mm-hmm. this town, and he has notified the wrong one that her father has passed away. Oh, that's and great. so I think the reason why he didn't do it over the phone was because he really wanted to verify that he was speaking to the right person make this sure time. We get it right. Law enforcement tries, you know? <laughs> they want to get it right. Maybe not the first time. So he wanted to see me, and he had left his card at my house. And so I had called him back, and he had said that he'd already been to my house looking for me. And so, which is always a little disconcerting. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and then he wanted he was he was free to come back over, you know. And I was like, oh, great. What is going on? And I didn't push him because there could be so many things that he wants to talk to me about. My family's so colorful. So then he came to the house, and I um, talked to Amber until he got there. And when he came in, he asked me several questions about my father. And then once he had verified that he was speaking to the right person, that's when he told me that he had passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, she calls back and says he's passed away. And honestly, I was like, I roll. Yeah. We have a show, like, coming right up. Yeah. Less Less than two weeks. Way to go, Christine. This is so typical. This it, is so typical. It is. T- I mean, honestly, it, it's it's it feels like if we'd really just thought a little bit about it, th- that we would have seen this coming. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, completely, absolutely. What I did not see coming in a million years was the the idea that there would be no one else besides her to go into that apartment. So the girlfriend, I'm assuming. Oh no, wait, we. The girlfriend makes an appearance. I forget. Yeah, she's actually my my newest stepmother. They she claims they were married, but um, right. I do want to say that I always thought that I would be the only one around who had to claim yep. his body or identify it. It haunted me because I'm the only one left in this area mm-hmm. where he lives, and mm-hmm. so I was pretty sure that it would always be left to me to co-identify him, yeah. her, and um, I was very lucky that she had her wallet on her at the time, so. There was no question of who it was. Right. Just the notification. Yeah. But then we had to go and salvage anything we wanted. You had to go into the apartment. From Christine's. The apartment. <laughs> amazing apartment. My worst fears could not have possibly <laughs> prepared me for what I came across. See, okay. I'm just going to take one moment to be like, my initial reaction to that sentence is to laugh, which is kind of messed up, says something about me, because that's not a funny sentence. Like, nothing about that is funny at all. 
So I do think perhaps that we are messed up and we shouldn't choose stories for people to hear because... (laughs) (laughs) But it's because we've had to find humor in the darkness. It's true. You know, all your life, all our lives. It's true. It's true. So that apartment. Okay. Now, did you go with me initially or you were on my second trip? Second trip. So I've got to go and get um, entrance to this apartment. And I go to the property manager's building and I am directed by the secretary to go into the game room where I find a lovely woman consoling a woman who is sobbing. And um, the secretary indicates to the lovely woman who's not sobbing that I am Christine's daughter. And she looks at me and um, the woman who's crying looks up at me and the property manager can tell immediately that we don't know each other. Mm -hmm. And she says something to the effect of you two have never met. And I said no. And she said no. And um, it turns out that this woman was his last girlfriend, possibly his last wife, although I found no paperwork indicating that. Mm-hmm. And um, she wants entry to the apartment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has just found out that he has passed away. I've known at this point for like 24 hours. And she's just found out. She's come to visit him and her, I'm sorry. And, it's okay. And she's just been told that he's passed. she's passed away. I hope the audience can tell that it's clearly difficult for me to... I think that it's fine. Identify. Yeah. I think it's fine. So there is something. It's like they're married, but she doesn't live there. So She doesn't live there. She's not on the lease. And so the property manager takes me aside and says, you know, uh, do you have any proof that you are her daughter? And I show her proof. And um, she's like, well, I, I'm going to give you the key because legally I don't have to. But I want you to understand that we have got to hazmat this apartment as soon as possible. And I'm not sure if you understand the conditions that we're talking about what I would like to propose is that I give you this key and then you let me demolish it all, clean it all out mm-hmm. uh, Just, in 24 hours. Gotcha. And at this point, I'm like, well. Yeah, like how could you even process this amount of information coming at you? I understood that he had passed away in the apartment, so they would be removing the bed and the bedding, but I had no idea. And this is when she goes on to tell me that my father had a dog and that little dog had never gone out to go to the bathroom and had already been taken away by the Humane Society once and it went away brown and came back white. And so this poor little dog is living in a situation that is completely unhealthy, but this gives me my first idea of what condition the apartment is in. And when I walked down to the apartment after being given the key and agreeing to her terms, um, the, her husband offered me Gloves and a face mask. No, no face mask. No, just gloves. Amber insisted on the face mask when she came back with me. I went in there unmasked the first time. I probably have mesothelioma. Yeah, it's ominous. Mm, I mean, the smell of the 
of the residence permeated the air outside Duh. as you approached it. And it was a it was an apartment that was under the stairwell for the second story, so there wasn't a lot of fresh air circulating there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I went in and the detective, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you that the detective had told me to wear sensible shoes, not flip-flops. Which I really was confused by when he said that. They're all these like little, they're just throwing you these little bits. Like, I wish somebody had been like, look, Mm-mm. this is what's about to happen. But instead, everyone's like, well, this is why it's like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I think that for everyone, though, I think for him, he was he was scared. <laughs> I think it, even with his gun, he was, he was frightened. <laughs> uh, he looked frightened as he was telling me the story of... Yeah. And so I go in and it's covered in dog shit and there's urine everywhere. And and it's it's more than that. It's it's clutter. It's it's hoarding. It's brand new purchases from QVC that have never been opened. Mm -hmm. It's it's exactly what you've seen on lots of episodes of hoarding where there are weird stacks of things and then and they're horribly like decaying. And then right next to that, there's something that's brand new and still in its box and shiny and things where you're like, what? There's a Betty Boop collection. Right. So, and now my new stepmother um, told me that all she wanted, she was, you know, once she realized that they were not going to give her access and that she was going to have to go through me, she said, all I want is our Betty Boop collection. And I thought, what? (laughs) My dad doesn't like Betty Boop. Does he? But Christine likes Betty Boop. But Christine likes Betty Boop. But Christine had a curio cabinet. Full, full of Betty, booping it, booping it, and of course I let her have that because that's that's, generous that's the you. treasure. That's yep. the treasure, and I, you know, and it, and it gave me a new window. So many things, but what I did not find in his apartment would be one picture of myself, um, either of my brothers, my sister, um, any of his six grandkids, or. Damn eight great-grandchildren or anything. There, there was a photo of his mother, mm-hmm. and there was a photo of the farm that at one point we had lived on where Amber and I met. Um, but there were no trace of the rest of his Past family. family members. None. But Betty Boop had a prominent position in the living room. God. And there were, I don't know, seven handles of R&R whiskey that were empty in Back that place. Drinking. Back, back to, to drinking, drinking. Back to drinking. Newports. Smoking. Possibly the dog. Poss- <laughs> Perhaps the dog smoked the Newports. He had made new friends. Um, they came out of the woodwork. Right. And crawled up in to uh, try to salvage what they could from this horrifying apartment where Amber and I thought nothing. Like light the thing on fire, man. Even more horrifyingly, when Amber went back with me to gather things, um, the items that came out of the apartment reeked of death and decay Mm -hmm. and dog shit Mm. and so we had to drive from his apartment to my house with the windows all open and this stuff had to sit outside for a few days where it accumulated a freakish Amityville horror amount of flies (laughs) like just black covered these items and when you would walk up they would light up and fly away and I thought he's still here (laughs) (laughs) Complete truth. Oh my god! And that's not even the worst thing you find in the apartment. Like, not even close to the worst thing that gets found in the apartment. So Amber, thank, 
thankfully went with me and helped me go through. I needed to find paperwork to have him buried um, uh, in, in interred in the military cemetery, and I needed this paperwork. And so this is our mission to find this. I mean, what we really find is just shit upon more shit, and a few items that I think I need to have and keep and maybe yeah. give to my siblings. And so we haul that loot away and. Um, my brother's flying in. My younger brother's flying in at 5 o'clock. And so I go pick him up. And the first thing he wants to do is go over there because he knows these vultures are going to come out of the woodwork. And I've just kind of been peeping it at bay, like this idea that other people are going to want anything out of there is just ludicrous to me. Right. And so he and I go back, and he combs through this place and finds things that I did not find, that Amber did not find. To his horror, he really very thoroughly searched this apartment. And... <laughs> We get in the car. After we let these other people get stuff, um, they have had drama unfold. I don't know if I could even go into the stepmother and the daughter and the jail, and that's a whole other story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, She wanted uh, stuff she could pawn to get her daughter out of jail, and so we had let them go in after we had completely and thoroughly taken everything that we thought was of any sentimental value. And... So we're in the car and we're going back to my house with the windows open because we can't breathe otherwise. And he is obviously upset. And I was like, hey, you know, you did a great job. And I'm really proud of you because I couldn't dig as deep as you did. And we didn't find it. But there's still other ways to get this military document that we need, this this um, notice of um, honorable discharge. And so he looks at me and I was like, no, really, you did great. And then he throws his giant long fingered hand up in my face and he says, don't. And I was like, what? No, come on. You know, it's we did good. And he was like, you don't know. And I said, what? And he was like in the closet. I said, yeah, I didn't go in the closet. I saw a bunch of shoes. He was like, there was a bag in the closet. And I was like, "Okay, what, what was in the bag? And he says, after pausing for a very long 30 seconds, like, dicks. It was a bag of dicks. And I said, how many dicks constitutes a bag? And he said, I don't know, more than six, less than 12. It was a bag of dicks. And I was like laughing, and I'm sorry, but that's, that's horrible. You know, I'm sorry. That's, hmm. And then he said, and there was a pocket. Oh, I forgot about this. <laughs> and I said, well, you didn't open it, did you? And he was like, I had to see. I had to look. I had to find this document. I had to make sure that there was no stone unturned. And I said, okay, well, what was in the pocket? And again, a long period of silence. And then he said, a dick. <laughs> Which made me laugh long and hard because, you know, awesome. He had a collection of toys. She had a collection of toys. You know, that's, that's fantastic. And this one was special. Yeah, and they got, got, to, got to stay in its own pocket. But when we told that story, people thought all kinds of things were in that pocket. Amber initially thought that it was his actual dick. <laughs> <laughs> that perhaps it had been preserved. So there's no way 
that this part can't be included. Like all this happens like within nine days before the perform our performance. Eleven. Eleven. Well, and then there was there was this whole debacle of burying him, Gosh. and we went right to it seems like before Jason got there, we went right to the funeral home. We did, and this was. I mean, everyone, not everyone, but most people have had to go to the funeral home and start making arrangements. Mm -hmm. This was so bizarre because no one, we did not like him. Right. I've, the times that I've had to go to the funeral home, it's been devastating. Yes, because you're, you're just, your heart is broken. Yes. If you're the one that goes to the funeral home, your heart is broken. We're up there just looking at each other like, what? What? Why are we here? <laughs> Can't somebody else do this? Gross. <laughs> there was one point um, when my father was still living and Amber uh, was probably about 18 and I was probably 19 or she was 17 and I was 19. And we were at my parents' house and we were um, goofing off, get ready to go out. And at some point, my father turned to my stepmother and said, when are the bitches going to leave? Oh, my God. <laughs> and so when we're sitting in this funeral home, looking at each other, making all of his final arrangements. I thought, how ironic that the bitches ah get the say. Oh and my it was gosh. just the, the it was so mm -hmm. <clears throat> again funny that the this man is trying to use kid gloves with us. Yeah. Oh, the funeral the director. The funeral director. Yes. I'm so sorry for your loss, and he's so sincere. And I'm about to crack up. It's just like in the last story, in the last family show that we did, it where. Is. I love to have inappropriate, horrible giggling in the worst moments. Yeah. And I'm fighting laughter. Like, you don't, you do not, just get the paper out that she's supposed to sign so we can get out. Just is he leave. here? I don't want to be where he is. Could, is he yes, in some we, kind of freezer here? We'd because like to, to we not, need to be not here, be in this building. Yeah. His gross shit is out in the car. Mm -hmm. We have to leave the car open. Mm -hmm. Can we go? Right. Because, ew. <laughs> it was so absurd. It was absurd. I, of course, maintained a complete facade <laughs> of sincerity and did it ever, sadness. Did you think for a moment about being like, look, we just we don't care about him. Let's just keep this thing going. Did, you did say that. I did say something to the to the effect that we were estranged. Yes. That we go. were not close. Yeah. And that, you know, this had just Stop kind of. It. Fallen, yeah, we don't have to kind do of the fallen upon me, but um, in true form that my father would be very proud of, I maintained the complete facade of uh, interest, <laughs> and we made some very good decisions. But we had to do that right away because he had been at the coroner's office at this point for uh, almost seventy-two hours, and apparently bodies can only stay for so long before they've got to go right to be you know yeah taken yeah, care of yeah yeah so it got it's got to happen. But then that will. Oh my oh god. Oh god. Okay. It's like it just keeps I keep forgetting. I can't. We can't end this. I we I know you can't. I totally forgot. I, this might have to be you, I know. Oh no, it's fine. That will. I don't think I've ever and I love to laugh. I don't <laughs> think I've ever laughed as hard as when she told me about that will. It was the best twist on a super twisty story. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So I've got the wonderful task of finishing his affairs, and I have to um, make the decisions of the burial. My, my, my younger sibling's not here yet, um, but he will be. Um, and, and people may not know this, but to cremate, you either have to have the signature of the spouse, or if there's no spouse, then all of the children. And I just flat out lied. 
and said that my younger brother and I were the only children so as not to have to wait any longer and yeah. to put Christine in a peaceful place. There you go. And I've got to get the paperwork to be able to close out his accounts and um, finish this process. And my uncle, who lives in um, out of state, he ha- he is the executor of my father's estate. <laughs> I use that term loosely. <laughs> and so... He is doing his best to accommodate whatever I need. And one of the things that he does almost immediately is go to his lawyer and have his lawyer um, sign off on making me the executor and uh, another piece of paperwork that says this. And this is all um, faxed over to me. And so now I have this um, will, last will and testament that I can go from to make the rest of my decisions. And was it kind of like almost like you know, the feeling of going to the apartment. It's like, what the hell is this going to say? Well, my aunt sent a cover letter that said, honey, don't take any of this very seriously. Good Lord. It's like the, would you like some gloves? Wear some sensible shoes. She didn't call me and tell me what I was going to read. Neither did my uncle. But there was a cover letter (laughs) saying, don't take any of this to heart. So I get the will. And it says that <laughs> it says that he has left um, provisions ten thousand dollars for his dog to be administered by one of the vultures that fell out of the sky that wanted crap from his apartment, literal crap from mm-hmm. his apartment, mm-hmm. and that each of his children were to get one dollar a piece. Which I've since learned is how you make sure that people don't contest a will. Oh. So yeah. whether he truly meant to leave each one of us, there are four of us, a dollar. The one, yeah. Or whether he just meant it so that we couldn't contest muffins inheritance, <laughs> a.k.a. boo-boo. <laughs> and one of the funniest things was that this vulture who'd fallen out of the woodwork was there and she was fighting with my most recent stepmother over some of this crap tastic stuff in this apartment and she had uh, you know imparted to me in confidence that she hated this dog because this dog at the time was at the um shelter they had taken the dog to the shelter and my um, new stepmother was going to go and get this dog and this vulture who didn't know and i didn't know at this time had been endowed with this wonderful you know, assignment. Yeah. She was like, I hate that dog. That dog bit my kid one time. And so I thought that was amazing that she would be the one who got to administer the 10 grand. But, you know, sadly for Muffin, a.k.a. Boo Boo, there was no $10,000. That's right. And um, after going to the bank and presenting all of my paperwork and then contesting my closing his account profusely, and 20 minutes later, I stood up and told my brother that, you know, we're out of here. I told them that whatever was in the bank account, they could give it to the March of Dimes. I had just seen the poster. <laughs> and she says, wait. The cashier that I first initially started talking to, not the managers, but the cashier said, wait. And she whispers something to the bank manager. And the bank manager whispers something back. And she finally says to me, look, would you like this in a cashier's check or cash? And I was like, exasperated. I was like, cash. Which immediately, again, though, you're like, we're not leaving here with $10,000 in cash. Probably not. Yeah. But who could have anticipated that we would leave with $11.66? <laughs> oh, my God. $11.66, which I just gave to my younger brother to buy cigarettes. 
because that seemed like the right thing. Possibly yeah. Newports, but I believe they were parliaments. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, right. you know, it's his money. He can spend it how he wants. Exactly. But amazingly, um, when the detective gave me the wallet, there had been cash in there. Uh-huh. There had been four $100 bills and nine $1 bills. And so I did um, allocate the cash out to my siblings. Um, nice. It was a lot more than a dollar. It was 101 in your face. 101, Christine. See? And not one of those dollars went to Muffin. Boo-boo. But I do hope that Boo-boo has a wonderful life. Because Boo-boo, how could it not get better? How could it not? Good Lord, being g- killed in a shelter is better than living that life. Nowhere to go but up for Boo-boo. <laughs> she can't hear him now. That's the greatest <laughs> blessing of her life. His voice sucks. <laughs> Oh my God! Uh, and then just screaming. <laughs> oh, it's awful. Holly came from Miami, FLA. Hitchhiked away across USA. So this is my thing is I'm like, how could we not tell that? How could you not tell that story? Like, I don't care. Again, I don't care if the people left. That's incredible. Like that has to be said. And the fact, did you find like any catharsis or was it just horrible to have to say it? Honestly, I, at first I didn't think I could do it. I really didn't. I was like, I don't know if I could stand up and do this mainly because I, I feared myself being insincere. I feared myself falling apart up there laughing and just, you know, people thinking oh, I was the monster because right. I'm the daughter that doesn't give a shit. God. You know, but how do you convey to these people that this is the daughter he didn't give a shit about? Right. That he used and, you know, verbally abused and just generally ignored yeah. all of my life. So I feared that I couldn't deliver it. And then um, Amber rewrote it and it was brilliant mm-hmm. and I couldn't not you. tell that story yeah I could not do it and I think it was cathartic because it opened up my story to so many people to come up and talk to me about it later and it still happens where someone will approach me and say you know your daddy issue story it meant so much to me I called my dad we don't get along but we're doing better than you guys right and I'm like <laughs> good because thanks I mean that's that's fantastic right something good and if you don't appreciate your father after my story you probably will. Yeah, no kidding. And um, I told the first story 11 days after um, he died and the second story 13 days after. And it, even after we were done telling the story, I still had so much paperwork to deal with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, getting him interned into the correct place and, and, and putting wonderful things on his gravestone, mm-hmm. such as flying high, the Air Force motto, which I loved. That's good. So, yeah, I think it was cathartic in a way and um, probably one of the better things that I could have done with my time and trying to understand my emotions and feelings about it. Right. Exactly. Hmm. See, I, I there's we there's a it's something that always comes up, especially with the family shows where it's like, is this too heavy or is it too intense? Um, and but funny comes out of that. So I don't know. I never really worry about it that much. And maybe we'll just build a reputation for you have to be somewhat thick skinned to be able to even come to these shows. Like, don't come here with your wimpy shit because we will run you off. If we haven't built it yet, it's coming. Yes, I agree. You you need to be able to stomach some gross stuff and you need to be able to deal with some heavy family business. Because it's not going to get lighter. No, I don't see that happening. Not, I mean, 
we kind of started off with the lights. <laughs> and there's so much humor in everything, in the darkest of places. I agree and with so you. to find that or to help someone else find that in any way is always going to be worth it. I agree. Can we, okay, so the hearing these stories for like 20 years now, there was always a name that Richard Christine was given, oh. but we never said it during the show. I always thought it was super interesting during the story that we never said the name. We never, because we're nicknamey people. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. So I started calling him her this around that Easter. My, my father always uh, wanted to be uh, Germanic in his um, lineage. Mm-hmm. And my stepmother is extremely German. She's very much um, on both sides of her family, has uh, enormous elaborate family trees that lead back to the fatherland. <laughs> and so um, at one point, my, my great grandmother told my father that he was not of Germanic heritage, that he was English, Irish, and what she called slop bucket Dutch, (laughs) not German. And she would know. And so because of this, his love for this weird Aryan supremacy, which evil, Mm -hmm. um, and his new affinity for mascara and dresses, I started calling him my Faza Maza. (laughs) And that's how I would preface stories when people would ask me questions about him at parties or at gatherings and whatnot. I'd be like, oh, you want to know more about my Faza Maza? (laughs) And again, because I have to make it funny, otherwise I'll cry. It's depressing. Right. And I didn't want to make fun of his new name as he was butterflying. So, Faza Maza. Faza Maza. Yeah. I think she would have approved. Yeah. Maybe so. Well, nothing you can do about it now. (laughs) Nothing. Fly high. kids I hope that you stuck around because that's an incredible story and I want to thank Rebecca for coming back and even though we kind of told her she didn't have to tell it again she very graciously just jumped right in and told us everything it's just unbelievable details um all right so this is episode four we're going to be putting out a podcast every month coming up um so I want you to go subscribe to uh, this podcast that's what she said wherever you find your podcasts you can also go to twshesaid.com to learn more about the show see pictures and bios of the storytellers get the new upcoming season schedule Uh, basically everything you need to know it's right there follow us on social media on facebook and instagram and twitter i think we got some twitter going Um, and get ready our new season starts in september We kick it off with Horrible Bosses yet again. Uh, Year two of Horrible Bosses. There's too many good work horror stories not to share another Horrible Bosses story. And then we have an action-packed season that's hilarious for you. It includes stories. uh, The themes are strippers, freshman year, hookups, and bad trip. There's no way that you don't want to hear these stories. 
So make sure that you follow us on social media, check out our website, and you know what's coming up. You can also uh, sign up for our email list there as well. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Till next time. This is the That's What She Said podcast. Don't you think that sounds like a suicide? Yeah, it sounds intentional to me. And it may have been because his QVC card had been... (laughs) (laughs) Maxed out. (laughs) Couldn't take it. What is he supposed to do? One of his pleasures was TV shopping. (laughs) 